Today, we talk about how you can stand out from the crowd, maximizing the parts of the job you love, and the best way to take an idea and actually make it happen. Next on Bacon Bacon. Hey there, I'm Jason Logston, and this is Making Bacon, all about helping you serve your fans, grow your income, and get the most out of your blog. Today's episode is brought to you by my very own self-publishing 101, how to publish a printed cookbook on Amazon using KDP. The average home cook owns almost 50 times more printed cookbooks than PDF cookbooks. So why are you limiting yourself so much? With the advent of print-on-demand companies like Amazon KDP and Ingram Spark, it is now easier than ever to become your own publisher. But if you don't know what you're doing, you can waste not only your own time, but also your money. And that's where my video course comes in, stepping you through the entire self-publishing process. You can check that out at makethatbacon.com slash publish now. And then let me help you make your cookbook dream a reality. Remember, you can join us live every Thursday when we record these episodes. You can ask the guest questions, talk to the other bloggers in the comments, and even see our smiling faces. So on to the show. As bloggers, we are also business owners, and we're in charge of our own careers. But that can be intimidating and often overwhelming. How do you know if you're moving in the right direction, if your decisions are solid, and if you're moving as quickly as you should? Luckily, today's guest is the perfect person to help us figure that out. She is a career and executive coach guiding a client base of high-performing professionals in their leadership and business development. She came to coaching after 20 years in the film industry, where she launched a nationally recognized media organization that helped filmmakers and financiers connect. She has been interviewed on the Today Show and CNBC, and her essays on career development have been published in Forbes and the Huffington Post. I can't wait to learn from today's guest. Wendy Breitman, career development coach. Wendy, welcome to Making Bacon. Great to meet you and great to be here. Well, I would like to dive into that. I, we're going to get into a lot of the coaching information, but I always like to ask, what's it like around your dinner table on a typical day? I am someone who is into cooking pretty elaborate dinners, even for just myself. Thanksgiving was one of those examples where I missed having my loved ones with me, but I took the time to make myself quite the festive meal. And it was a turkey roulade with dried cranberries and brandy and wonderful stuffing and Brussels sprouts and loved that I had the smells in the air and the ritual, even though I didn't have the actual company. What's your favorite Thanksgiving side? Oh, stuffing. <laughs> this is just no question. Stuffing is good. Do you? So you did a roulade. So obviously you didn't have the stuffing in the bird. Are you no, a? No, uh, this was stuffing uh, in the bird. So it was nice. kind. Of, yeah, it was interesting. It was a breast that would had been. I asked the butcher to splay it for me, and then roll the stuffing in there, and then of course had a whole other batch of stuffing as well because that's just a small, too small amount. I wanted leftover. I like that. Stuffing is stuffing's up there for me. I think mashed potatoes are mine, but I I would never hand turn down seconds or thirds on stuffing, that's for sure. Yeah. So I'm excited uh, to be putting you on the hot seat today with the hard questions instead of this being the other way around. You know, For the listeners, Wendy's been coaching me for the last two months and it's been a very helpful experience. But part of that is like talking through and justifying the way things are and why I do certain things the way that I do. And I think you know sometimes I have a good reason for why I do it. And other times it's just like, well, I started doing it five years ago and I still do it that way. I have no idea why. 
So I'm looking forward to turning the tables on you a little bit and getting to kind of grill you about what you do. And that's a business coach. A lot of people don't know what a business coach does, especially compared to like there's business consultants, there's business managers. Can you talk about what sets a coach apart? A coach, I want to, if, if I could just give my origin story first, so just to set up where I'm coming from, because I think it might be useful. Mm-hmm. I worked in the film industry for 20 years. I was a producer. I launched a media organization that was a sort of a matchmaker between filmmakers and financiers, and then went through a very harrowing career transition when uh, a job I had been recruited for by the Discovery Channel and the American Film Institute was relocated across the country. I lost my job for the first time in 20 years and then just began this really winding journey. And as I was going through it, I wanted someone to help me figure it out didn't know anything about coaching. And then on a random lunch with a friend, he told me about coaching. And I just had this very unique eureka moment of knowing that's what I wanted to do next. Went back to school, became accredited. And now I've been coaching for years. And I coach people in career transition. I do executive coaching, business coaching. And one of the main things that a coach does is facilitate a process to help people reach their goals. clarify what they are, first of all, and then help them break it down into small, tangible, achievable pieces. Sometimes we have ideas that are swirling around in our heads, but we don't know how to realize them. And the first step is by talking it through and understanding and clarifying what they are, then we can begin to tackle it. A coach is not an advisor. It doesn't tell you what to do. It really helps facilitate a process to help you figure it out. It definitely seems like a lot of our discussions are around, where am I trying to go? What are my processes in place? And what am I trying to do to get there? And asking me to look at those in a a fresh manner to decide if they are right for me. And then through that, I figure out what I should be doing. It's not you dictating to me, you should do this or do that, which has been very helpful for me. Yeah, transformation happens not because someone tells you to do something, but more when you understand the way forward by yourself. And so I facilitate that process. So how do you approach trying to get someone's goals out of them? I feel like it's it's such a kind of ambiguous term. You know, what, what's your goal as a business owner? And I run into this with bloggers all the time that they, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can be a successful blogger. And that could be using your blog to support a completely separate business. It could be ad revenue. It could be selling a service or products on your site. So how do you get them to kind of get a concrete goal and express that? Well, one of the things, as you know, that I often start my sessions with, because sometimes it is too big. Where do you want to go? It's, it's, it's sometimes that question is too big and that even that question needs to be chopped up into smaller pieces. But I often start calls asking someone, what do they want to know by the time they get off the phone? And that kind of narrows it down a little bit. And yeah, it's just asking the right questions to see what, what's keeping them up at night. Where are their pain points? What's not working? Because you're a big proponent of working on things that you enjoy working on, that your job, while it is still work, isn't, shouldn't necessarily be just toil all the time. Well, there's, there are weeks where it just feels like toil, but there, I, I'm sure a, a lot of your audience is motivated by passion and love for what they do. And 
I also wanted to mention that when I started my media organization, it came from a vision, an idea of something that I wanted to do that I thought was a really good idea. I knew nothing about business and I had to really learn along the way, which is, I'm sure, of the situation of people who are listening today. And, that, and that's challenging. I ended up having a education, a master's education, but I did it the hard way as I was going through it as opposed to in the beginning. And sales and marketing, as you know, is a very important focus of any business. And when you're someone who starts from a passion and a place of vision, sometimes those are the things that get pushed to the side when they're so, so important. I think that's definitely something that comes up with bloggers is that, you know, no one, at least that I know, went to college to be a blogger. They didn't, you know, go into training or apprenticeships to be a blogger. It almost always started out because they had a passion for making recipes or writing about travel or doing food photography. And then that turned into a blog, which is now turning into a business. And they have trouble kind of making that transition from a hobby to a business. What kind of issues do you see people run into when they try to change careers and try to move into a new direction? Well, I would say when I, I think about when I was in my coaching training and with my other cohorts, I had launched a business before. So this time around, as I began my coaching business, I understood that sales, marketing, client services, admin, which includes bookkeeping, invoicing, that that was part of the deal. And I would say some of my cohorts didn't understand that part. And really all they wanted to do was coach. And you have, you have to understand that those other things could be 60% of your day. And that maybe 40% is doing the part of it that you actually seem to love the most. So you have to kind of find a way to love and embrace those things too. I feel like what I tell people is that I still do things that I don't like, but I'm doing them because I think they're important where when I was at a previous jobs or working in corporate America, a lot of times it's because the boss or their boss thought it was important and I didn't understand the value. At least now when I'm doing something that I don't enjoy, I personally see the value and how it's going to move me forward, which was kind of a nice psychological change, I think, from just being told to do something that could you have to do it. What is something that you don't enjoy that you understand that you have to do? Pretty much all of the outreach that I do for you know, trying to get uh, bloggers, trying to get uh, people on the podcast, just writing those emails and sending them aren't something that I get passion in necessarily. And as we've talked about, these are things that, you know, I've been slowly trying to move them off of my plate so I don't have to do them. Even just expenses, making sure that, you know, our, our bookkeeper knows where money's going. There's a lot of things like that that aren't, aren't the reason I got into this, but they're part of running a business. And so you, you have to have somebody do them if it's not you. Yeah, and I and I think the the marketing part, and I find this even in my own work. So sometimes I'm having to be my own coach and remind myself that when I'm really, really, really busy with coaching, I I have to remember that you cannot start the marketing and sell. You can't stop that part. It's got you've got to create time for it, even even if there's no. It feels like there's no time because that's going to be your future clients, and so it's it's just always keeping your eye on that ball and literally structuring time in your day if you have to. And it's not always easy. Yeah, doing marketing and outreach, the time to do that is not when you need clients and you don't have work to do. It's the time to do it is when you have clients and work to do. So that way 
that situation will continue. You'll, you'll keep getting paid in the future. Yeah, exactly. So talking about things that aren't necessarily, like you said, aren't, you know, the things that could bring you passion necessarily, but could make up 60, 70% of your day a lot of the time. How do you kind of differentiate between things that, you know, seem important, but aren't in your specific situation and you don't necessarily even need to be doing versus those things that are very important and need to get done? Okay. I want to understand that question. Ask that question in another way. And, and, mm -hmm. and I have to say that what we're doing now would be something that I might be doing in a coaching session with someone. If I'm not understanding what they mean, I want to make sure that I get at the heart of what you want to know from that question. Mm -hmm. So I think from, especially from a blogging perspective, there are, like I said, there's different ways people can become successful. And so you hear a lot of like, you should do SEO, you should do a YouTube channel, you should do social media and people start to get bogged down a lot of time in saying, well, this is, people say this is important. I don't like doing SEO, but people say that it's important. So I'm spending a lot of my time doing it where there is other things that there is a base level of SEO you should do. There should be marketing of some kind that you're doing. Taxes is a good example. Like you have to do those even though you don't enjoy it. So how do you differentiate between the things that are going to move you forward to your goal and things that other people might think are important, but actually aren't important to you? Well, of course, there's the kind of foundational stuff that you, the admin part that you absolutely have to do in order to keep things running. But in terms of the marketing, you, you have to see what works and, and, and maybe sometimes throw a few things up at, on, at the wall. But it's, it's kind of like exercise, exercise program. What do you, well, you know, out of all of those things, what are you going to actually do and commit to and put your heart and soul into it because if if you feel like you have all of these shoulds and it's just spreading your energy out too much then maybe you got to narrow it and choose a few things that you're going to really do well that definitely makes sense one one of the things i try to tell people too is that there's like doing no seo if you have a blog of any kind is not good doing a small amount of it is will be it's infinitely better to have a small amount than none at all to have like the right headers the right kind of background to it and then you don't get too much value if you do another hour or two hours a week until you hit some sort of critical mass where now you are doing seo and you're getting a lot of value out of it so i try to have people look critically at what they do and say like okay am i getting more value out of spending an extra five hours a week on instagram or am i still getting the same amount of value as i would if i was spending one hour a week on it and if that's the case then i need to commit to either spending 20 hours and being an expert at that or scale back to where i'm getting that minimal value but not wasting time yeah and i think i'm a big believer in experts so i have people that i look to to see what works for them although sometimes you don't know immediately but i will say that many people spread themselves too thin and that that's just not going to work so how can you choose the things that the essential things and and focus on them so you're not trying to conquer the world and another part of it is 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 setting goals even the small goals the the big goals are perhaps harder to clarify sometimes but you've got to have, give yourself weekly wins. Otherwise it just gets too exhausting and vague and big. And so that's a huge part of coaching is breaking things down into small pieces. So you can 
maybe do some SEO work this week or do um, trying to get on a podcast or write an article somewhere else or whatever, structure it and then give yourself a win once one of those small things comes in. How should somebody or what, what are some options people have for figuring out what their goals are? You know, like if a lot of people I talk to at like blogging conferences, they got into blogging as a hobby. They want to make it into a business, but they don't, they didn't get into it necessarily because they want a cookbook or they want a food network show. And they're trying to figure out what that goal is, like where they want to move it to besides make some money doing this. <laughs> How can they kind of narrow their goals and go about figuring out what is important to them and what directions they want to go? Well, I think it's understanding if, if you were to talk to someone and they're trying to figure what, what's the kind of essence of the pain point there is the, is if you boil it down, is it, I want to make X amount of money a year or a quarter or a month. Then you can, I think you have to just boil it down to what's the essential need there and then think, okay, so how am I going to, you know, what are the different ways that I can get there? If it's, and I don't know, Jason, you tell me, would you say that in most cases the goal is that people want to make more money? I think people, that's what they start with is that they've been doing it as a hobby and then their goal changes that, you know, I have, 10,000 or 20,000 monthly visitors, I could actually make money from this. So now my goal is to make money. And I don't think that they necessarily have, you know, some people do get in saying, I want a food network show, or I want to publish a cookbook and they can go about it. And that's why I'm curious about it. Cause a lot of people don't have those hard goals, but the people that do have a specific one, it makes all their other decisions that much easier that should you have a YouTube channel? Well, if you just want a cookbook, then that might not be important. If you want a Food Network show, then yeah, you have to have a YouTube channel because you need that video content. So knowing where they're going seems to clear up so much of the decision-making along the way, but I'm never sure how to get them to figure out kind of what goal do they want? What do they like doing? Yeah, well, I, I, I'm not an expert blogger. So, and I'm, as a coach, I'm not, again, I'm not, an advisor or a consultant. I'm someone who's going to facilitate the process. So with each person that I work with, it would be different. But again, I'd want to understand if you say that you want to do a cookbook and get a, a, a national TV show, you know, what's it that what's what's underneath that? And is it if it's to make more money or or if it is for a cookbook, what are the steps? that you need to do is it realistic understanding what's involved and can you make it happen and how to break it down into small pieces so you actually move forward and a lot of people i talk to have ideas and there's so many ideas swirling out of their around in their heads and that takes up a lot of brain space and a lot of energy so it's to kind of take those ideas out of your head understand what they are tackle them one at a time move, you know, press on them to see which ones are realistic, what's involved, and then start doing the work. Yeah, I feel like people do get bogged down a lot in thinking, you know, even ones that decide what they want to do, like I want to do a cookbook or I want to do a video course, and then they get bogged down because they are really big tasks. 
if you are trying to accomplish something major like that, how do you go about breaking it down or looking at it that makes it seem, you know, this might be a year's worth of work, but here's how you can break it down so it's not overwhelming, something you have to do this week, kind of. Last year, I thought about writing a book on career transition. And I thought, okay, I'm a coach, coach myself here, which is never a good idea. And how do I break this goal down into smaller pieces? Because writing a book is just a big, big thing. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to commit to writing 15 minutes a day, just, just to get, just that is the one commitment that I'm going to start to do and see where that leads. And I've been very, very busy and actually finding 15 minutes a day to write wasn't, ha I didn't do it. And so I thought that, well, that completely didn't work. And so ultimately I decided I needed some accountability, which is a wonderful part of the coaching process is someone where I could actually say, this is what I'm going to do, commit to it, and then have to report back. And so I decided to take a writing class and I had to deliver material every week. And so I, I, I had no excuses. I just had to make it happen and I did. And, and so having accountability is important. And in this writing class, we had to do, this was a book proposal writing class, so it really, the comprehensive thing you need to do to pitch to it to a publisher to get a, a deal and it was a, a marketing plan a sample chapter a synopsis and each week we had to do one of those things and it was just great having it broken down into small pieces and for someone to do it for me or in the sense of just the accountability they couldn't do the writing but I had to show up with that and so Having, you know, whether it's working with a coach or someone in your life where you, you, you can break it into smaller pieces and to understand that you're going to deliver because you're going to have to report to someone that you've done it, that really helps. That I makes just sense. want to understand, and, and again, I'm not the person who's going to tell my client what they need to do, but uh, what they need to do, but if it's a book, well, let's talk about what the different components are that you need to figure out to make this happen. It makes a lot of sense that tackling a big project, it can help to find someone that, especially if you're feeling overwhelmed, someone that knows how to do that type of project can break it down for you. And then, you know, like in a class, even hold you accountable to accomplishing the steps and they can lay out like, here are the steps that you should go through to at least get to this point. Definitely makes a lot of sense to rely on some of those experts out there in those fields. So, so let me, if it's okay, if I ask you uh, a question, of course. In terms of your writing and cookbooks, what when you first started, what how did you tackle it? I put together most of the best recipes from my blog and put it in a book and published it. <laughs> it was I uh, did a little bit of research about what goes into self-publishing and just grabbed my best content and put it out there. And uh, there is a kind of haphazard experience, one of those like I should give this a shot because at the time there's only one other cookbook out about sous vide and I was getting a good response from my blog. So I just kind of dove in and did it. But you first had to find out what, what you, you needed to learn the contours of public self-publishing, right? That was mm -hmm. a component of it. So that would be one piece of what you needed to do. And, and 
it, it's not, it wasn't just pulling the recipes together. It was artwork, I'm assuming. And It was a very, very simple bare bones book. My first one out had, I think, 12 photos in it. 10 of them were stock photos. It was 80 pages and it sold for 10 bucks. There was a very, about as bare bones as a printed cookbook can be. And, you know, it was my market and my my fans knew what they were getting because they followed my blog. I had been doing food photography for about a year then. So my pictures weren't any good, you know, and that's what people that I was selling it to really understood. My big, speaking of knowing what your goals are when you're trying to accomplish something, my goals in my writing at that time was very specifically to take a process that at the time was being written about by Thomas Keller and these high-end chefs and a lot of food science, food scientists. And my goal is to take that information and break it down into a very accessible way for home cooks to understand. Because people would get confused and intimidated by the sous vide process because people would talk about thermal diffusion curves and pathogen death curves. And you know what else those relate to? Making a roulade, baking a chicken, like pan frying steak. Those still apply to that, but no one ever talks about it because your grandma didn't explain that to you when she was teaching you to cook. But currently in sous vide, everyone was talking about these really scientific matters. So I boiled it down and presented it in an easy to follow manner for my fans. And that's what they were purchasing. So I didn't worry much about the, the photos or, you know, that type of presentational aspects. It was all about the information. By the way, like right behind my iPad, uh, on my coffee table, I have a Thomas Keller book, French Laundry. And um, it's a coffee table book, I have to tell you. I never, I mean, I look through it every once in a while, but I just, it's not my go-to. It's definitely yeah. not my go-to. Yeah, I love my Thomas Keller books, but that's how I got started blogging is I got a sous vide temperature controller, which you plug your crock pot into, and it basically turns it on and off to maintain the temperature, and a copy of Thomas Keller's Under Pressure Cookbook. And I read it from cover to cover. I was like, I don't know what the heck he's saying. I don't understand this. And I dove in and started researching it. And I was like, okay, so this like four pages really just means set the temperature to this and put the food in for two hours. Like you can distill those four pages into three sentences that make sense to people. And I started blogging about it. And then that turned into the book, which was pretty successful. And then just kind of went from there. So I can relate to Keller is not writing for a lot of home cooks. He's showing off for home cooks and he's writing for professional chefs that are really trying to hone their craft in ways that most home cooks don't. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I have, I have those books that those recipes for when I really have time and don't mind having to wash every pot and pan in the kitchen and wish that I had a prep cook by my side, as opposed to the, the recipes that I know I can tackle on a Sunday morning and get it done without really sweating a lot. Yeah, there's it's a fun project to do some of those types of, of food, which, which I always enjoy doing, but it, it's not a weekly thing, especially if I'm working or doing anything like that. It's it's not a weeknight thing where that's that's one of the things that sous vide's great for too, is it's so convenient that it is that was one of my selling points through over the last 10 years is that yeah, you can make Michelin star food with this, but you can also make a chicken breast that when your spouse gets caught up in meetings won't be ruined and it'll still be perfectly cooked when they get home. And it's interesting to see different people's niches and directions they go. It's always something I, I enjoy seeing different people try to approach the same 
subject in a very different way. What was the experience that you learned, your biggest takeaway from doing that first book? That the, if you're upfront with your readers and you're giving them what they're expecting, then the quality doesn't matter that I sold hundreds of copies and I had four and a half star reviews. Like that was the average of the reviews on Amazon. And like I said, it was an 85 page book that was black and white. And the only other one people might have is Thomas Keller's. But I was clear in my thing, hey, this is this is a short 80 page book and it's going to explain sous vide to you in a manner that you understand. And the first probably four books I put out weren't books that I was going to, that I would buy for myself because I buy the Alenia cookbook and Thomas Keller and, you know, French laundry. And that's the type of books that I generally buy, but I wasn't writing for myself. These books were not for me. They were for my audience and my audience wanted to understand sous vide. And if I accomplished that and was upfront, what they were getting, they were, they loved the books. And in terms of your original goal, and I don't mean to turn the tables on you, but really you're the expert. So <laughs> this is kind of what- Who is conducting this podcast anyway, yeah. Wendy? Come on. <laughs> well, but this is how it works is, is to understand what your original goal was with it. And, and did you get there? And how did, you know, how did that, how, what was the gap or no gap between what you wanted to accomplish and what you did? My original goal, I mean, was- I thought it'd be fun to publish a book and it would be cool to learn how books are published. And, you know, I thought we could make some money doing that. It'd be another way to diversify our income streams. I love coming up with solutions for problems and trying to implement them. And that seemed like a, a pretty low energy solution to do. It was probably two months from start to finish to put it, pull it all together, figure out how publishing worked and get it out there. And it, definitely succeeded from that standpoint of I had a good time. It was fun understanding it. It was fun to get out there. And at the time I wasn't a full-time food blogger. So it wasn't necessarily, you know, this has to work because I'm, I'm relying on its income or anything like that. And it's really what propelled me to become a full-time food blogger was I made more money from that book in the first two months it was out than the previous two years of food blogging when it wasn't much of a priority. And the next book, blew that out of the water. And I put out a few others that did good. My fourth or fifth book became an Amazon number one bestseller or top 10 uh, bestseller out of cookbooks. And that was more money than I had ever made programming <laughs> in my previous job. So it, it kind of grew from there. So it, it accomplished the goal of having fun doing it and trying new things. And then it really did change my blog from a hobby, something that was hopefully going to bring in a few hundred bucks a month here and there to something that would allow me to basically make full-time income from it. Yeah, no, it's amazing. I, I, I love how when you first started out to do it, that part of it was just the learning curve, that wanting to go through the experience of understanding what it was. It seems to me it's, it's pretty impressive that you were able to pull that together, even if it was an 80-page volume in two months. It's impressive. But I, if you were to come to me and say, I want to do a cookbook, I'd drill down a bit and say, okay, what's, you know, what's the end goal here? What are you trying to achieve? And is that, if it was about money or exposure, or certainly if it's about learning, then great. That's, that's for sure you're going to get that. But I, I want to understand more about what it is. And particularly if you are having a number of ideas, which mm -hmm. is cookbook, TV show, podcast, 
yes blogging somehow which of those ones you know what what you're trying to do with each one and just how to fit that into the reality of your life also yeah. uh, one of the i think that's where a lot of bloggers really get overwhelmed is when they do try to make that transition because there are you know there's people that exclusively do youtube there's people that just do seo and ads there's people that do affiliates or sponsored posts people that do brand photography and use their blog to find clients to take photos for them. And so I think they go like, okay, I have something here that I enjoy doing. Let's see if I can turn this into an actual source of good income. And then they look at what everyone else is doing and then they get frozen and overwhelmed because you know, you go to like a food blogger conference and you hear from expert after expert that's like, here's how you succeed at YouTube. Here's how you succeed at Pinterest. But none of them are doing probably anything else that the other experts are doing. But when you hear one after another, you're like, how could I ever do, you know, these 12 things all at the same time. And I think it's, it is hard to, for people to narrow down which ones to focus on. Yeah, that's, but that, yeah, that's a big part of working with a coach is prioritizing, understanding what the goal is from what each one of those things would be and being also what the components are in terms of what it's going to be taking to do that. And then what else is going in, on in your life? So people have families, people, a lot of people, I work with a lot of people who are parents who have kids or who are home right now and they're having to be involved in their schooling and, or you have aging parents in the house or whatever is to understand how that's gonna fit in. Cause you don't wanna set yourself up for failure. You wanna create goals that are achievable given, given what else you're doing. And so that's what I would want to understand. If someone came to me with 10 ideas, let's talk about what it would mean to realize each one of those. How is the realization of that going to get to, to what you really want? And then let's choose a few action items that you can get done between now and the next time we talk. When someone's going into a, a new field in some ways, how, how much time do you recommend? And I, I know that you would ask them a lot of questions to drill down to it, but how would you approach like, you know, I didn't know anything about food photography. I didn't know anything about doing podcasts. I didn't know anything about self-publishing. Like I didn't know what my strengths were in this specific field. So how much time do you spend trying to figure out what your strengths are before you kind of really narrow down and say, this is what I want to do without just kind of leaving stuff on the table that, you might be a strength of yours, but you just haven't got to it because when you got started, you didn't know any of it. Well, you could you could start by, I guess, if you if you were going to have a a really linear conversation before you really dove into these things, and if you were working with someone like me, you could. But understanding what your strengths are, really, let's talk about what what you're really good at. What what's the stuff that comes really easy easily to you and what are the things that are more difficult or where, where maybe you're going to get more help, need help or it's going to take you more time. I don't know how long it takes and I don't know if you can figure that all in advance, but I knew certainly when I went to get trained as a coach and I was going to embark on creating this new business that I had had this experience once and I knew that I enjoyed sales and marketing and admin, that I was, I was good with that being part of the job. And I, I think the other, many of my cohorts didn't really understand that. All they wanted to do was coach. And if people would have been more honest with them and said, hey, you know, coaching is a part of it. And now if I ever speak to someone who is thinking about getting into coaching, I always tell them, 
coaching is a part of it, but you have to really welcome and embrace these other components if you're going to be successful. Makes sense. I did programming consulting for about a decade and it was, I'm sure there's some similar overlap in that, that the finding of clients, the going through specs, the, the non-programming things were a huge part of the business. And if you didn't like that, you should probably be working for a, for a company that will do those aspects for you. And then you can focus on the programming. And it's, it's a very different mindset too, of what goes into that, like the invoicing and, you know, sales is very different than, than programming. And it's probably different than, than coaching. How do you help people kind of realize what are these secondary tasks that go into that might come out of following one of their goals? Well, it's funny what you, I, I, I've worked with some software developers and who are in the career transition and they're at a pretty high level. And I would say out of all my clients that I work with, they hate sale. They hate sales more than anything. And what I mean, what I mean by sales is if they're interviewing and having to talk about themselves and tell their story, because job interviews are really, it's a sales pitch because they don't want to talk about things. They just want to do them. They don't want to have to kind of talk about them. And so sales is an interesting thing. A lot of people come to it with fear. And they just think it's, it's uncomfortable and it's sleazy. And one of the things that I work with clients, how I work with them when they're really uptight about that is to understand the asset that they have. Okay. We're going to have a, maybe a little cameo by my dog. No, she's she's Dogs are always welcome. Yeah, no, she's, she's always, she was looking like she was going in this direction, but <laughs> she, she's now she's going to her, to her water ball ball. Yeah. It's just that, to, to kind of understand that when you're, you, that you, the asset that you're bringing in is to really know what you're bringing to the table. And then you're giving, by selling, you're giving someone the opportunity to have the asset of whatever that is, whether it's, yeah, whether it's you're pitching yourself and your talent, whether it's a cookbook. It's just understanding the value that that thing has. That's what it, where it starts with understanding the value and that in fact, letting more people know about that is giving them an opportunity to get something great. We talked about something similar in our mastermind uh, call that was at noon today about, you know, how do you sell? How do you feel comfortable with that? And, you know, we talked about that if you're solving a problem, if whatever you're selling solves a problem, then it makes it so much easier to sell that because you can say, if you have this problem, I have a solution that I believe in. And if you don't have this problem, then I'm not going to push it on you. I'm not going to, you know, try to force it on you. But if, if you have this problem, I'm confident that what I'm offering will solve that problem. And like you said, it could be a cookbook. It could be yourself as a job. Like I know what I did as a computer programmer. And if they were looking for specific things, I would be a great fit. And if not, I would be a horrible fit for them, but it makes it a lot clearer when it's kind of okay to sell. Like, emotionally, because if you see someone that has that problem and say, I can help you with that. If, if you, if we have that trust, you know, in each other, I can help you with it. Well, I think it's, it's, it's knowing that someone's going to benefit from whatever it is, having the faith in whatever it is, whether if it's a cookbook, if it's your writing, if it's getting someone turned on to a TV show, that they're going to have value from that. Yes, you want to understand the pain points for sure, what's keeping them up at night and how it's going to solve a problem. And just realizing that they're going to feel better when that problem gets solved. Hmm. So 
I think that's the part of sales. I, I, I know a couple of people who are major fundraisers and the people who are best at fundraising understand, and this is sort of in the nonprofit world, is that giving someone the opportunity to give will, it offers that giver something good. They get, they know, this fundraiser knows that someone giving is going to be happier for having given. So that's what I, I think sales is about is knowing that someone's going to be happier when they have your service, really believing at, that you're going to add value to their, to their lives. One of the things that you and I talk about a lot is how to prioritize making money from existing assets, you know, marketing and trying to get the word out versus doing business development and creating new assets. What struggles do you see business owners face when making these types of decisions? I think it, it's it's being all over the place. I would say <laughs> is just too many ideas and spreading themselves too thin, which we talked about before earlier in the conversation is just what are the things that they can focus on and focus on well without trying to tackle too many things and just spread themselves too thin. I think that and and you know circling back to what we've talked about before, the priorities are knowing what it is you want to achieve from this thing and 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 drilling down and I know I've been using that word a lot but <laughs> into what if it's make more money well let's talk about how much more money do you want to make and what's going to get you to that you know what 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 exactly is the number you're looking for and how do we break that down what does that mean you have to make every quarter how are we going to and what 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 are you going to get what's the potential income from that asset and, and maybe, yeah, and, and, and understanding it on that really granular level, I think just gives people clarity and helps them know how to prioritize. Makes sense. I feel like it's always hard to differentiate between like, you know, ooh, the shiny new thing and, you know, this is an important idea that's worth doing and new because they often look identical kind of going into the process, you know, when you at first blush. Yeah, well, I thought you, you made a great point that when you, when you talked about going to these blogging conferences and you have all these experts who are talking about all these different things and you can just start spinning your head thinking, oh, that's a great idea, that's a great idea, that's a great idea. But it's possible that those people are just doing that one thing. And so maybe you're, you know, you're going you're gonna to choose three of the 10 ideas that you're thinking about or maybe you're just going to choose one and just really tackle that and do it well. Yeah, someone uh, asked me a few months ago, like, how did I keep up with like regular posting on my blog when I wrote one of my cookbooks? And it was like my fourth or fifth cookbook that was all new content. And I just laughed because I basically didn't post on my blog for like three months while I wrote the book. Like it was, I couldn't do both at the same time. One thing had to stop and I decided a cookbook would be you know, putting out another cookbook would be more beneficial long-term than continue to put out two new recipes a week on my blog. And I think people, at least uh, that I talk with a lot, forget that there is this kind of give and take that if you're adding on more work, something has to fall off. And hopefully that's other work that you're doing and not family or friends or, you know, taking care of yourself. But I think a lot of people do forget that, that we do have limited amounts of time that we can do. Yeah, I think it's important to factor in the other parts of our lives and family, responsibility, exercise, staying just mentally agile, physically agile. You know, what are the things that are just going to keep us going? 
and building that in as well. So you're not just burning out. How can people find that balance between, you know, being high performing, putting in a lot of time and pursuing, you know, ideally a job that they love and as a passion of theirs while still not burning out and making sure they still save time for themselves and for the other things that are important. Yeah, I'm such a big believer in downtime and I do it in a, in a structured way where I, I take Saturdays off and I not only do I take the day off, but I try not to solve problems that day. I, I really, it, it's sort of mental gymnastics, but I, I, I try to really push when I find my brain trying to come up with solutions, I, I push it away and just to give myself some space. And I've ritualized that. So that works for me. But I think it's really important to build some downtime into your week on a regular basis. It seems like that's something that's pretty hard right now with uh, with COVID and everyone's schedules changing, that it's like people that did have a lot of scheduled downtime in some way, cases no longer have that and everything just kind of blurs <laughs> together, I feel like. Yeah, no, I, 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 there's a story that I love from a friend of mine who's a very acclaimed writer and just a wonderful person and very humble and modest and she talked about that when she had twins she writes two hours a day that's her that's her her work regimen and she's very committed to it and really serious about it when she had twins there was no way that she could write two hours a day and she stopped writing she couldn't write at all for the first six months and then eventually after her kids were six months old she said i can't write two hours a day but i can try 10 minutes a day and she wrote 10 minutes a day. And with those 10 minutes a day, she was able to publish several stories. And so I, I, what I love about that is just, you know, what's reasonable. Mm -hmm. And as opposed to trying to do the impossible or doing nothing, how can you carve out? And, and, and that goes back to if, if marketing and sales are not something that you think you have time for because you're so busy writing, well, how can you carve out 10 minutes a day for this other thing, whatever it is, and just put a frame around it and say, okay, I'm going to commit to that and I'm going to do it. And if you put 10 minutes a day together, it actually can lead to publishing some stories. I feel like there's so much, we underestimate how much doing small amounts of incremental work can kind of build to and lead to over the long term that you know, easiest way to write a cookbook is to do one recipe a week, like, and have one, a book, put out a book that's mainly not photographs. And if you do that, most bloggers can come up with one recipe a week with all of their content and all the information and knowledge that they have. And that's not this overwhelming, you know, huge commitment of, you know, having to do multiple recipes a week and add on all this. But if you just do that and take your time and have it planned out, you can build towards there and you're gonna have a a nice full cookbook by the end of the year. Well, a lot of people that I work with, networking is important to them reaching their goals. And mm -hmm. there are people who are very uncomfortable with networking. They're introverts and the, the thought of it just makes them break out into sweat. So we talk about how to make that doable. It's sort of a similar kind of framework is, can you reach, how many people can you reach out to in a week? and get through it. Could it be two people? Could it be three people? And 
if it's just one person, but then let's set that as a goal that you just hit that goal every week. Let's make it doable, something you can manage, one recipe a week, one person a week. And if you break it down into those small pieces, it's so much easier to get done. If you expand your network by one person every week, you're going to have a pretty big network after a year or two. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to, I, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable networker by nature. So one of my strengths, but even I am challenged by going into a big networking event where I don't know anyone, where you put your name tag on and <laughs> we don't have any of those right now. But there were times where I knew that I had to do that and I would give myself a framework and say, okay, I have to hand out three business cards at this event and then I get to leave. So, and I, I did, I would, I, I would hightail out of there as soon as I got my three cards. So I would make it, I knew I could, I could have a reward, but I just had to get this small thing done is hand out three cards and then get out of there. It is amazing. Like having a, the mental framework, like you said, makes such a big difference. I ran into that because I hate networking. I hate like social interactions. Like I'm much better now than I was when I got started in this 10 years ago. Not just not not even bringing in like ten years before that when I was going to computer programming conferences and having to network. And one of the things that really switched is when I realized that it is mental largely for me that I was a speaker at a conference. And going into it, I was like, well, I'm a speaker. I'm supposed to be making people feel comfortable. And so I should like talk to a little more people because that's like that's my job as a speaker representing the, the conference. And I talked to more people during that conference than probably all the other conferences I had been to combined. And midway through, I was like, why does it matter that I'm a speaker? Like I could have started any of these conversations at any other conference. Like there was just that little, little change in mindset that made a huge difference for me. To, and then I tried to apply it. And then I... Yeah done a lot of stuff since then that has made me a lot better at it, especially improv that I've mentioned to you before that helped with my social interactions and networking. But just that yeah, we could mindset. Whole, we could do a whole podcast on how to network. Yeah. I could break it down for you. It's so <laughs> in, in certain arenas, it's so important and people are very intimidated by it. And I, I understandably so, depending on your strengths. And so there's a way to do it like anything else we're talking about by breaking it down. And I, and I think, you know, I don't want to underestimate the accountability part of it because it's good to then, if you're doing some of these things that are difficult, it's really good to be able to tell someone. And it's really important to celebrate the wins. So breaking your things down into smaller pieces. And then when you get that thing done, you go, yes, I've, I, even if the larger goal is um, writing a cookbook, but you get that one recipe in that week, then you get to say, yes, good job. And it's really, really important. I like that breaking it down and really celebrating those, the smaller step-by-step -step goals, which is 95% of anything we do are the smaller steps and not just waiting kind of for that big, oh, the book's finally on Amazon after a year and a half or whatever. Yeah. And I don't mean this in this kind of Pollyanna way. It's just that it's resilience is, it's the key component in all of this is, is just getting through it and keeping at it. And part of the way we keep at it is not by feeling like losers, but feeling like we're actually accomplishing things. And the way we do that is by breaking it into small pieces and then acknowledging that we've gotten something done this week and, and really feeling good about it. We talked about that when I, I've been sending you, you know, my weekly 
reports of what I've finished before we get on our coaching calls. And you would ask like, well, what do you get out of this? And one of the things was like, it is super helpful for me to go back and be like, oh, here's the 30 things I accomplished. And there, some of them are, you know, a five minute task. Other ones are a five hour task and they're both one line, but going back and relooking at everything that I did accomplish always makes me feel good. Cause it's, I feel like it's a rare week that you get done. You're like, I just, I did so much this week. It was amazing. Yeah. I feel like we normally get done with weeks and we're like, I can't believe the week's already over. I still have more that I wanted to do. And so it's nice kind of going back and relooking at what you did accomplish and especially the ones of those that are moving you closer to your goals. Yeah. Well, when I first, when I was in coaching training and, and in order to get my first accreditation, I had to get a certain amount of hours of coaching hours in. And so I had this post-it, which I don't know if I still have, but I saved it for a while which is, okay, I was, I need to get this many hours. What does that mean? How many hours do I need to get? I want to do it in four months. How many hours do I need to get in each month? And how, and I broke it down into how many hours I needed to get each week. And I made it, I made it happen. And it really helped to have it just broken down that way. Yeah, I love that, that we, we look at these big things that seem intimidating and they're actually pretty easy if you break it down. It's like a lot of bloggers want to work with brands for sponsored posts. Well, that's actually easy to do. Send out X amount of cold emails every week and you will get to that number that the amount you might have to send out or do cold calls or like you can break down the steps. And if you keep doing it over and over and over and over again, the percentages will fall out in your favor. It's just not a a quick fix that you can kind of like flip a switch and it's going to be accomplished, but you can break it down that if you want one a month, you're going to have to send out a hundred proposals a month. So break that down to the week and you'll be all set. Yeah. I think, you know, I just, again, if you're understanding for your audience of, of, of what the, you know, what, what's underneath what they want to accomplish, what, you know, what's the driving force here, knowing what that is, clarifying what those pieces are, and then tackling, you can't tackle it all at once. You have to, you know, make some choices and, 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 and celebrate those wins and understand that that small piece is an accomplishment that's leading you to that larger goal, but the process and, and enjoying the process is really important, not just the end point. Mm, I like, I, that is one thing that I like about our conversations is that you've never like told me like, well, I realize that you don't seem to like this, but you need to suck it up and do it. Like it is very much find what you do like. And there are things that you might not love, but like find what you do like and try to maximize how much of that you can do because it is a job, but it doesn't mean that we can't find joy in what we're doing and work on things yeah, that are our passion. And, and I, I, I did an article once about procrastination and sort of did it sort of a deep dive into to it and and understanding that sometimes the things we put off are because we don't understand the the pain is 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 larger than the gain in our mind so so we have to kind of try to reframe it and uh, really dig into what the benefit is when for the uncomfortable things or the things that are less pleasant to understand to make the the, the gain more prominent so the pain isn't as, as significant. Yeah. I've never procrastinated eating a bowl of pasta before, but I definitely procrastinate going to the gym. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's part of like taxes. Doing my taxes is one of my, <laughs> my yearly procrastinations. I hate doing it so much that I will clean out my closet and organize my closet, which I hate almost as much, but not quite 
as dramatically as doing my taxes. And so what you have to then remember is how is it going to feel when you get that done, when you get those taxes done, just remind yourself of how it's going to feel. Oh boy. That's in our kind of mid January and that season is coming again. Yep. It's on its way here. Well, Wendy, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you sharing some of your expertise with my audience. And it's always great talking to you, especially when I'm not on the hot seat the entire time. It's always good. Uh, I love your approach to you know breaking things down and keep asking why until you get an answer that's a base answer and then going back to the high level and finding another area to dive down into. Yeah, why and then what the pieces are and then giving yourself tasks that are achievable, given the breadth of your life, and then celebrating your wins. Well, if people want more information or they want to work with you, they can find you at loveyournextcareer.com or they can email you at wendy at wendybraitman.com, correct? Yes, that's right. Awesome. Well, Wendy, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you to all the listeners for listening. And remember, you can join us live every Thursday when we record these episodes. You can ask the guest questions, talk to the other bloggers in the comments, and even see our smiling faces. So join us Thursdays at makethatbacon.com slash live. Till next time, I'm Jason Logston. See you all next Thursday.